for the Athletic Podcast Network. This is The Update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to Anthony Slater, who covers the Golden State Warriors for The Athletic, about the pending draft selections or pending trades of the draft picks that the Warriors acquired or found out the numbers that they've got from the lottery last week, number 7 and number 14. We'll talk to Anthony about what they should do with them, what they could do with them, and if they are to make those picks, which players are best suited for the current Warrior roster and for the roster maybe beyond 2022, 2023, and 2024. All things we can talk about with Anthony Slater, who joins me next. Today is Monday, June 28th. You know that when news happens with the Warriors, we call one man and one man only. His name's Anthony Slater. He covers the Warriors as well as the Phoenix Suns this postseason for the Athletic. Anthony, what's going on, man? How is the uh, how's the Phoenix Suns coverage been for you? Interesting. I mean, they are a rising team in the West. You know, it's always good to just kind of monitor and close way like you know just where the league is shifting and one of the teams it's shifting towards is, is phoenix right now and one of the players two of the players i should say are uh, devin booker and deandre Ayton, really rising in these playoffs i do want to get into to some of this stuff with the warriors lottery of course but uh, your takeaway or your thoughts on how the valley oop went down man what are the all-time inbound passes we were sort of comparing it over at knbr to the uh as far as inbound passes go i guess i would go grant hill to christian leitner was an all-time inbound pass but that one was incredible to Aiton, who throws it down there to win the the ball game just sort of your takeaway and the reaction about that one last week yeah I think the Leitner one is tougher because it's just such a far pass should be so easily tipped away but that was a really tough angle by Jay Crowder but they're actually lucky where the ball went out of bounds it actually gave him the angle to make that pass where typically if you're underneath inbounds you can't really you know, make that lob right at the rim. He kind of had that sliver of an angle that he slid in there. It was really poorly defended. Like DeMarcus Cousins was not lined up where he should have been. He was kind of waving his arms like kind of towards the top of the key where he should have been cutting off the baseline. But that That's an entirely different deal. It did introduce the rule to maybe the mainstream that uh, you can actually goaltend an inbounds pass. Since an inbounds pass is not technically a shot, you could touch it over the cylinder. And it's a rule that I think like really deep NBA heads and NBA coaches know, but uh, it was introduced to the mainstream because that was technically, you know, would have been a goaltend if that was Jay Crowder shot, but it wasn't. Yeah, totally. It makes sense, but it, uh, to, to see it happen in that moment, unfolding in the midst of like a 33-minute final two and a half minutes of the game was uh, was pretty incredible. So you mentioned DeAndre Ayton. He's having a good postseason and, and has looked really good in the series. So we talk about the Valley Oop. What do you think about the comp between him and James Wiseman? I'm just wondering as far as size going, oh, Wiseman maybe a little bit bigger. As far as the, how they move the floor, it's taken Ayton a little bit of time to, to get up to speed, but he was drafted as a 19, 20-year-old. So what, what do you think about that comp right now? They're different players. Aiton's more polished. Aiton's a little bit sturdier in the post as a post defender. I mean, you saw him in the second round really defend Nikola Jokic well. His footwork's better. He's got uh, just, you know, more technique around the rim. Wiseman's more of, you know, a long-term project. He's more of a perimeter guy. He's kind of got like dribble and go, like, you know, perimeter stuff. He shoots threes. Aiton never shoots threes. If you project Wiseman out to 25-year-old James Wiseman, he's probably going to be able to do stuff that Aiton can't do. But Aiton does stuff already at a young age that I don't think Wiseman will be able to necessarily do year three. But, you know, if you do look at the growth pattern of, of Aiton, there are stuff to maybe be encouraged 
by uh, with Wiseman, which you know Aiton was part of. I believe like the twenty seventh ranked defense as a rookie. He was completely lost. They were a nineteen win team. You talk to people around that team. He just didn't understand NBA defense at all. It's very hard for a rookie center. And by year three, they were the sixth ranked defense this season. He's been he's become a good defender that understands pick and roll coverages, understands how to get out to guys. And then the other thing I think you've got to like with Aiton is how he has you know kind of trimmed down his shot diet and pretty much everything's at the rim he's shooting like 80 percent in the restricted area in these playoffs he rarely even takes a mid-ranger it's pretty much all just diving you know pick and rolls he does have maybe the best pick and roll operator ever at least uh, from a center's perspective with Chris Paul which is different than Wiseman's playing in like Steve Kerr's fluidity offense which is a lot tougher you know you throw Aiton in that offense he'd probably have some trouble there's give and take but I do think if you're Wiseman you're watching it you're looking at the simple ways that Aiton tries to affect the game but the way he does it all he's like relentless about the simple stuff and I think Wiseman can take some of that and try to implement it to his game and maybe shave down some of the mid post isolations and 19 footers or jumpers with his foot on the line like that stuff needs to get cut out of his game by year three like it was with Aiton. Yeah, that's interesting. You say there are some things, and I I think that's a good breakdown of, you know, there are some things in year three that maybe James Wiseman will be able to do, or by the time he hits his peak, age 25, you said, maybe there are things he can do that Aiton can't do, but he may not be there necessarily to the point that Aiton's at now in year three, which I guess sort of raises the question about these lottery picks the Warriors have now, number seven and number 14. I don't know how much that can get you on the trade market and for a draft that is is supposed to be top heavy, like the top five or six players are supposed to be the takeaways for a team with number seven and number 14. How how big of an impact player can you get in the draft that's going to help you immediately? Bob Meyer says, you know, they're not going to sacrifice wins just for growth and development. So what's the roadmap here? You've already got a very young center in James Wiseman uh, who is not up to speed yet and is not going to have the full offseason as we've talked about. So what's the plan here? What do you think the best move is for the Warriors with these picks? I don't know because I don't know what's available. They don't know what's available. You have to explore all avenues. And, you know, a lot of those might not come up till draft night. I just put out an article and I probably laid out about, you know, 72 different possible things they could attempt to do with it. But, I mean, you're basically looking at different scenarios like a trade up. If you could jump into that top four, if if come draft night, let's say, Cuttingham, Jalen Green, and Evan Mobley go one, two, three, and Toronto's sitting there at four, and they're like, eh, they don't really like Jalen Suggs. They're not huge on Scotty Barnes, or they think they can get Scotty Barnes at seven, and they say, you know what, I'd ra- as Toronto, I'd rather have seven and 14 than four. And then if you're the Warriors, you go, okay, maybe you consolidate the two picks, so you're only bringing one rookie in. You go up to four, you get like a Jalen Suggs. You know, that would be, be fantastic, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's perfect as a plug and play. Now, my guess at this point, and people around the Raptors don't believe Toronto will come to that idea, but that depends on their scouting over the next month. And what they, you know, maybe they come to really covet somebody they believe they can get at seven. They're like, look, we can get an extra lottery pick and, and hop back and, and get the guy we want. If the Warriors do say it's seven and 14, it's not impossible to bring in rookies who help right away. I mean, we saw it this season. There's there's plenty of rookies. Tyrese Halliburton obviously went 11. He'd help a winning team. Sadiq Bay went 19. He'd help help a winning team right now I mean there are guys there that's on the Warriors to identify them over the next month uh, with 7 and 14 if you, if you do get guys in that are good players you have cheap control over them for the next you know you know four seasons on a rookie contract and beyond if they're really good players you know is that Davion Mitchell you know, a lot of people want to throw out there he's smaller I think he measured at the combine around 6 6 1 
but he was really good and a winner and a wiry defender and, and, and could be potentially a plug-and-play guy in your backcourt off the bench that seems to be a winning-type piece. Corey Kispert, if you just really want a shooter, I mean, he's going to be a knockdown shooter. He might have his playoff uh, defensive deficiencies. There are others. Moses Moody as a wing. Maybe at 14 you do take a project and you're just okay having Wiseman in a, in a wing project on the roster. Or you try to find a veteran, trade out and get a veteran. I mean, there are veterans all over the league that maybe like the 14th pick might get so they need to lay out on their massive table which is a gm's job a front office's job all the different scenarios they might be able to do and then over the next month and probably we're talking on draft night because that's usually when the decisions happen they need to figure out which is the best one for them it's funny because when I was a kid, like I would, you know, well, when I was a kid, Warriors were in the lottery each and every season. And so there were times where, you know, you're, you know, picks 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. You start thinking, boy, you get into the middle parts and it depends on each year. But you point out in this article that you wrote about all the different Warriors options potentially with these draft selections that a guy like Donovan Mitchell went number 13. How do you think the league views the depth of draft picks as far as right near the end of the lottery? Is that a pick that's viewed as just sort of a maybe it's a hit or miss? Is it a coin toss? Is it an invaluable pick? What do you think about that one at 14? Depends on the year. Um, but, you know, this year, I would have said it was like five and a huge drop off. But now even that top part, it seems to be stratifying into this like top three that people seem to re- feel really strongly about. Suggs is kind of in this like, can he be a fourth there? Is he maybe a tiny step down? And then Kuminga, who all year, you know, there was, you could even go right before the G League bubble. Kuminga, some people were saying like, could he be one? Could he be two? Now, to me, it seems like he's pretty clearly consider the fifth best prospect out of those top five and even scotty barnes might be hopping him now you're talking about a sixth player tier up there and the warriors are picking seventh you don't necessarily want to be seventh in that situation because once you get to seven in this draft it seems like it becomes kind of just like a a hodgepodge of mix like pick your preference there between seven and 18 in this draft essentially and i think there's high value around the league but you know value is different in every franchise's eyes they may just oh Moses Moody we believe he's going to become a superstar like they'll trade anything for seven because they think it's you know this highly valued gem that they can come up and and pick and some franchises might not really like anyone I've heard that there are a few teams out there that think James Booknight's going to be like a, a 24 point per game score eventually in the league so maybe if you believe that, maybe you take him. If you don't believe that, maybe you try to you know ship that pick elsewhere if there's a deal to be made. But I think in general, this is good ammo. These are good assets. 7 and 14 in what's considered a pretty deep draft, that can get you a lot on the market. See, that's what I needed, man. I needed you to, to bring me down a little bit. I was like, man, what are they going to do with these things? Are these things valuable at all? Can they get anything for them? But I like hearing you say these are good assets and good pieces to have around draft time, man. So, uh, Anthony, we'll catch up with you when we get closer to the draft. Enjoy the coverage of the Phoenix Suns, man. Hopefully you'll get another round to cover. That'd be fun to uh, to cover them into the NBA Finals, huh? Suns-Hawks would be interesting, huh? That'd be a blast, man. That'd be a lot of fun. Anyway, we'll catch up with you down the road, man. Thanks a lot. Yep, thanks for having me. Great stuff from Anthony Slater, and yeah, I've always felt like you get down to the middle parts of that draft, like you don't want to be around 500 in the NBA. You want to be really bad or really good, because the middle parts of the draft, the guts of the draft, or that first round as they call it, sometimes hit or miss, just depending on the year, but if Anthony says there are good assets there, I'm going to believe him. I'm going to go with the guy who knows a little bit more about this stuff than I do, so we'll see which selections they decide to make, or if they decide, as he mentioned, on draft day to either move up or maybe trade those pieces for a veteran asset that can help this team get back to the postseason and maybe open up that championship window for just a little bit longer with Steph Curry. 
Thank you to Anthony. Thank you to Brian. Thank you to you, the listener. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever it is you're listening. Giants and the Dodgers this week, a big two-game series that starts tonight. We can talk about that later this week, as well as the first-year player draft right around the corner for baseball. The Giants and the A's have some selections to make. So we'll talk to Melissa Lockard as we get closer to the upcoming first-year player draft. But until then, enjoy the week. We'll talk to you Wednesday.